So we're in a collection titled Names, and we're exploring different Hebrew names of God found throughout the Old Testament. In the ancient world, a name was more than just something that you gave a barista to let you know when your coffee is ready. Your name was your identity. Your name indicated your destiny. It was like a one-word moniker for everything that you were, for who you are. And so as we explore the names of God, we're, we're doing more than just, you know, figuring out these attributes and character. No, we're, we're actually diving into the essence of who he is, of his identity, of his nature. And so our hope in this collection is that as we explore the different names of God, we come to discover who he really is and what he is actually like. So far, we've covered Yahweh, which is I am who I am. If you remember two weeks ago, and last week we talked about Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of you have read uh, Psalm 23 this week, even at least once? Powerful, right? If you just still your heart and actually listen to what the words of the psalmist are saying, pray it over your week, pray it over your day, there's power in it. Well, today we're going to be continuing in this collection as we explore the name Jehovah Jireh. Yes, we sang a song about it this morning, Jireh. It's actually pronounced Yira, but we're going to say Jireh just because it's it sticks with the brand of the song. And Jaira means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Now, I love this name, but um, in my studies, when I found out where this name was mentioned in the Old Testament, what story it was attached to, I was kind of like, huh? And so we're going to explore that today. We're just going to break down this story. We're going to go to Genesis 22. And here we're going we're gonna to see the mention of the name Jehovah Jireh in a very unexpected story. So I'm just going to start us off. We're just going to go through the scriptures today and break it down. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Yeah, you thought Jehovah Jireh would be a cute, nice little story. No, it's a story about God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, whenever I read the story, I, have, I, I had a lot of trouble with it, right? And this passage should trouble us. Why? First off, if you're okay with a God who would make you sacrifice your own child, like, come on now. Like we, this is not what it's about. It's troubling because it seemingly contradicts God's nature. Why would God ask someone to sacrifice their own child? Doesn't God condemn murder? Isn't God against child sacrifice? Second, isn't God going against his own word, violating his own promise? Right. A few chapters ago, Isaac, his son was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, right? God declared that Abraham, you are going to be a father of many nations. You're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, sands, in the, in the floor. In Abraham and Sarah's barrenness, God fulfilled his promise by giving them Isaac. So why would God take away the very thing he gave them in the first place, the fulfillment of his promise. You wrestling with this too? It's not just me, right? It's weird. Have you ever wrestled with some of these questions in your own life? God, how could you let this happen? I thought you were supposed to be good. God, I thought this job was from you. How come I got fired? God, I thought you said she was the one. Why didn't it work out? God, I thought you led me to this city. Why is it so hard living here? 
When Chris and I first started pastoring in the city, it was 2016. We actually started in this building at another church, and some of y'all were with us. We started a church called Sons and Daughters Soda for short, and when we did that, the only way I could describe it is, you know, Chris and I got married in 2016. It, it really felt like our first child. And then we got our dog, Fig. But then this really felt like our first child, this campus, this church. And we thought, man, we're going to grow old with these people. We're going to be here forever. We're going to see all these people get married and have kids. We didn't realize how transient San Francisco was at the time. But, but that was our dream. That was our hope. That was the sentiment of our hearts. We're like, God, you gave us this, this beautiful gift of a church. Thank you. Two years later in 2018, when God said, I think it's time for you to move on. We were like, what? Like, this was your gift to us. This is what you gave us, what you called us to do. How are you telling us we got to go now? How are you telling us that we're not supposed to remain here? And we felt like, God, how could you let this happen? This goes against who you are. This goes against what you said. And I would bet that most of us have experienced moments in our lives where the circumstances contradicted who we knew or believed God to be. Times when we said the very thing, God, that you gave me feels like it's slipping away. Times where we've questioned God's will, his nature, his intentions. To experience these conflicts is a very human thing. And Abraham felt this tension and conflict. You gave me Isaac as a gift. Isaac is the fulfillment of your promise. Why are you asking me to give him up now? And we're going to see how he responds. Let's go to verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Is the key part right here. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So Abram and Isaac, they, they set out to the mountain. Um, at this point in the story, probably only Abraham knows what's about to happen. Um, and notice this. Abraham, he says to his servants, we're going to go up there and worship and we will come back down. Does this sound like a man who believes he's about to lose his son? Does this sound like a man who thinks God will actually have him go through with the act of murdering Isaac? Why would he say, we're going to go up and then we're going to come back down together? I think something inside of him knew that God would not have him go through with this sacrifice. I think something inside of him knew that he could trust God who knows him well enough to say, my son is going to be okay. Who trusts God will make a way and continue to be who he says he is. And this is the context in which God reveals himself as provider. See, it's easy to believe that God is for us and that God will work out all things for our good when the circumstances align with that truth, isn't it? But what's our response when they don't align? 
What's our response when the reality of the situation doesn't align with the thing that we heard from God? How do we respond when the thing that we're believing for is so different from the thing that we see before us? And this is important to ask ourselves because I don't know about you, but most of my life is not lived in that certainty. It's lived in this tension, in this conflict. God, what you said and what I see seem to be totally different realities. And it's coming to the truth that I'm still going to believe. See, Abraham believed that God would provide another sacrifice. He believed he would come back down that mountain with his son. We go on, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Awkward. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hell awkward, first of all. But second, here's the first mention of the name Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The word Jireh or Yireh meaning to provide. But a more direct translation of Jireh is actually the Lord sees. The Lord sees our needs. He knows what we're going through. He knows what our hearts are anxious for. He knows what worries plague our minds. Even before we utter a word or a prayer, he knows what we need. You ever know, you ever, you ever, you guys have those friends that are like mind reading empaths? Like Krista, (laughs) whenever something is wrong, even before I know something's wrong, Krista's like, are you okay? Like she just knows it's so annoying. Every time she just knows when something is off. You ever have those friends that just know something's going on inside of you. And those other friends that, that can actually tell you, I feel like this is going on inside of you. And they're like, Oh my God, that's right. God, he sees us. He sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He sees our needs. He knows what they are. Jira, the Lord sees our needs, but the Lord doesn't just see our needs. He also sees to it that our needs are met, right? It's one thing to know what someone is going through. It's another to know how to get them through what they're going through. Can can you hear me, church? So many times, I feel like we only do one of these two things, right? On one hand, we try to offer people solutions without actually taking the time to know what they're going through or what they actually need. Um, I've led so many overseas missions trips in my life that I've had to repent in my adulthood because we go to these countries and we come in thinking that we know what they need and thinking that we're saviors of some sort. No, we found that the best way to interact with people is to sit with them, to listen to them, to hear their hearts, right? Without taking time to listen or seek understanding or sit with people in empathy, offering solutions and help doesn't mean much. Um, I've done premarital counseling for many years now. And um, not to, I find that most of the time, husbands are very unempathetic. Just in my experience, I'm just telling the truth. Like most of the times they offer solutions before they can sit and just listen and be present. On the other hand, sometimes that's all we do, right? We see what people are going through. We empathize with them. But then we don't take any proactive steps to show up in the ways that they need, whether that's with our time, our resources, or our presence. We're like, yo, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I'll pray for you. 
Yeah, I got you. And then most of us don't even pray. Let's be real. Come on. Sometimes we just say that. Instead of doing the harder work of becoming the actual embodiment to the prayers that we pray, right? It's not just one thing. God doesn't just see us. He doesn't just know our needs. He sees to it that our needs are met. Jehovah Jireh knows what we're going through and will provide for us everything we need to get through it. Think about the word provision, right? If you break it down, pro meaning before, vision to see. In other words, literally God sees beforehand what we need. God sees beforehand what we need and makes provision for us. Come on, he's not caught off guard. He's not unprepared. He's not surprised. He's not looking at our situation being like, oh snap, he just lost his job. What are we going to do? Right? He's not saying, oh my God, those two broke up. I thought they were going to be together forever. How how are we going to get them through this? He's not freaking out. He has seen beforehand our lives. He has seen beforehand our needs and he's already made provision for it. And part of the comfort that God offers us as Jehovah Jireh is that he knows. He knows what we're going through and he knows what we need to get through it. Even before we know what we need, he knows. Come on, how many of you know sometimes we don't even know what we need? I'm, I'm like, I'm a, and I say this all the time, if you do the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram type seven. I'm totally out of touch with my emotions. I'm always trying to put a positive spin on everything. I do not like to dwell in negative emotions. I'm always trying to be the optimist. I'm even wearing a shirt that says local. I didn't plan this. I am even wearing a shirt that says local optimist, right? Sometimes we don't even know what's going on inside of us. Have you ever been there? Like, I know something's off. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. We know something is off or wrong or missing, but we can't figure it out. But even then, Jaira knows. Even when we can't articulate the things that we're going through, the stuff and the struggles inside of us, God knows even before we're made aware, he sees and he sees to it that our needs are met. In this moment, Abraham had a confidence and a trust and God to be provider. He knew that God saw his heart, his trouble, his need. He, he knew that God saw the conflict for his son Isaac. And he knew that somehow, some way, God would make a way. That he would provide a sacrifice in the place of his son so his son wouldn't have to die. Or if his son did die, God would raise him back. He was confident in God the provider. Verse 8. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This never really added up to me for one reason, one reason alone. You know, most of us read this and think, oh my God, how barbaric. Abraham, he overpowered his son, grabs Isaac, binds him up in these ropes. And Isaac, he's like screaming for his life. Dad, don't do it. Begging his dad not to do this. Abraham's a hundred years old here. You know how old Isaac is? 28. Isaac be in his prime. Okay. Abraham, old age. Y'all watch the show physical 100 on Netflix. My favorite character, my favorite contestant was the old MMA fighter, the legend, right? He was one of the oldest contestants, but you know what? I realized watching the show, Father time always wins. It doesn't matter how swaggy he was. And every time he came on the screen, Krista, we'd watch it together. And I called him my captain. I would bow to him, my captain. Like, I was just so enamored with how amazing he was. And then one of the last challenges, he gets beat out by younger people in their prime. I guarantee if he was in his prime, he would have won the whole thing, right? That's my captain right there. But 
But in his old age, he just, he even confessed in front of the camera, I can't compete with these younger people in their prime. Abraham's 100 years old. Isaac's 28. Young spry man, just like Isaac right here, right? <laughs> Me, even in my, my late 30s, I cannot overpower Isaac, okay? Isaac's in his prime. He's in prime mode right now. And so here, Isaac is physically in his prime. There's, there's no way that Abraham in his old brittle age overpowered his son to sacrifice. And what a lot of theologians actually think happened here is that at some point, Abraham explains to his son Isaac, this is what's happening. God said he needs a sacrifice. Now, I know this sounds scary, but will you believe with me that God will provide? And Isaac, upon hearing the situation in faith, offers himself up as a sacrifice. See, both of them trusting that God would not have them go through with this, both of them believing that God would provide another sacrifice. See, we read this story and we commend Abraham's faith, but this wasn't just Abraham's faith. This was Isaac's faith. This wasn't just Abraham's sacrifice. This was Isaac's sacrifice. You know, so so many of us have this twisted image of God the Father, like forcing his son Jesus to go to the cross so that he could bear the Father's wrath. But no, that's a really twisted way of thinking about God. No, this is the story. Jesus, who is God in flesh, willingly offered his own life for the sake of those he loved. Do you see the difference? One is the image of an angry, abusive father taking out his frustrations on his son. The other is the image of a loving God who willingly stepped into humanity and gave his life for the ones he loved. Doesn't that make a big difference? And this is the image here. Abraham didn't enforce Isaac. They both willingly gave up their hearts in sacrifice, saying God will provide. If you go to verse 10, we're drawing to the end of the story says, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I hate this. Don't you hate it when God does that? At the last split second, God comes through. I hate that. Well, we're, um, we're getting ready to go on a trip to Ethiopia back in uh, 2011. Oh, my God, over 10 years ago. And um, the trip was pretty expensive, mostly because of the airfare, but also because we wanted to give a lot to the people that we were going to be interacting with. And um, two days before we were set to take off, um, we were down $13,000. And uh, we're like, oh, shoot, we're not going. We're like, some of us are not going. I'm probably not going. I don't know. And so we're trying to figure it out, wrap our heads around this. How, how are we going to end up going? How are we going to get $13,000 in two days? Well, we just started praying because we, we had already reached out to our support groups. We'd already reached out to people that we knew. So we knew that like, it would take a miracle for God to get us the money and get us all going there. Well, a day before, we were still down 11000 Like, dang, God, I thought you were going to come through. Literally, Five minutes before we were supposed to get on the plane, we got 
500 surplus on everything that we needed to raise. So we got all the money and the surplus. We're like, who did this come from? You would think on our bank account, it said God or something. I forget who it came from, but it was, it was crazy. But it was like at the last split second, like we were going onto the plane thinking, we don't know how we're going to get back. Like we're doing a one-way ticket there. We don't know what's going to happen. We might just become Ethiopians, just live there for the rest of our lives. I don't know. Maybe that's our calling. But don't you hate that? At the last split second, God comes through. Come on, how many of you know that our timeline for provision doesn't always line up with God's timeline for provision? What we think we need and what we actually need are two different things. When we think we need something and when we actually need it are two different things. Come on, testify. I thought I needed a wife at 23. God knew I was not ready. Lord knows I was not ready. I thought I needed a megachurch, but God knew I needed a small band of rebels and runaways that do, that do yoga in the morning and then have espresso coffee right after and then have a service. We're talking about jar. Like, I thought I knew what I needed when I needed it, but I thank God so many instances in my life that God actually did not meet my timeline, but he kept me on his. Come on, can you think of at least one thing? We're like, I'm, thank you, God for withholding from me for that time. Thank you for saying no right now. Thank you for letting me be on your timeline. Right here at the last possible second, God provides a sacrifice, a ram in the bush for Abraham and Isaac. And in this moment, God is making a statement. I'm not like these other gods. I'm not like Molech, a cruel God that requires the sacrifice of children. I'm faithful. I'm a God who provides for the needs of my people, and I always deliver on time. You know, I, I know most of us don't like this idea, but, but sometimes God takes us through seasons of testing. In verse 1, the whole story starts with the author saying, God tested Abraham. But here's the thing we misunderstand about testing from God. God doesn't test us so that we could find out. Sorry, God doesn't test us so that he could find out what we're made of. God tests us so that we could find out what he's made of. Not so he can see if we're ready for the promise, but so that we could see that he's ready to bless us. The testing isn't so that God could determine if we're qualified enough. The testing is so that we could come to see that God's qualified enough to meet our every need, to come through on our behalf. In other words, the testing isn't to expose our faithlessness. The testing is to reveal God's faithfulness. See, we think testing is like this hurdle that we need to run away from, but it's something that God calls us to go through because he wants to reveal who he is. He wants us to know him as provider. In this test, Abraham is reaffirmed in his belief that God is faithful and that God will provide. But notice this, Abraham didn't call God Jehovah Jireh. He called the place Jehovah Jireh. The place will be called the Lord will provide. You know, if we trace back through the history of our lives, I wonder how many places we can think of that should be called the Lord will provide. How many moments God came through on our behalf? How many times God met our very need? How many situations where God proved his faithfulness? I imagine this wasn't the last time Abraham or Isaac walked by this place. I imagine every time that they walked by that mountain, they remembered, oh yeah, the Lord will provide. 
They remembered how the Lord provided a sacrifice in their moment of need. And they were filled with faith and hope that God will continue to provide for their every need. When we started this church, we used to meet. There's not many of y'all left that were with us in the beginning. Crazy, Dan, Jamie. When we started this church, we used to meet on the second floor of a picture framing studio on 7th Street. And uh, it was this tiny little office space. Literally, I think, like, maybe just this space up here. It was tiny, and we were cramped in there. But it, it was so beautiful that season, like, being shoulder to shoulder with people next to us. We didn't have a disco ball. We didn't even amplify our worship music. But that season was so sweet, and we remember the year that God brought us together as a family. When we moved out, I was so happy because it was so cramped. Um, but every time I drive by 7th Street, and I drive by it often, I remember, oh, th- that place is called the Lord Will Provide. That place is where God brought us together as a family. That's, that's the place where God brought so much healing to our souls. That's the place where God knit us together. That place is called, that place is not the second floor of a picture framing studio. That place is not the breather. That place is the Lord will provide. Even this space right here. This isn't just the Verdi Club. This isn't just a space for yoga. This isn't just a place for buchata. This is a place called the Lord will provide. I wonder how many places in our lives that, you know, are fun in our memories. But we haven't said this is the place that will be called the Lord will provide. See, we have the authority to name places Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And I think this is powerful in two ways. Number one, it helps us remember so that we know that God will provide again and again and again. But the second, it's prophetic. We can name our homes, the Lord will provide. We can name our workplaces, the Lord will provide. We can name our families, our neighborhoods, our relationships, our cities, the Lord will provide and trust that God sees and will see to it that he provides for our every need. There's powerful declaration in that. We're drawing to the end of the story, verse 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now check this out. This is a, Can I get into Bible nerd moment a little bit? I don't do this often, but sometimes I got it. All this took place on Mount Moriah, okay? This whole scene with Abraham and Isaac, it happened on Mount Moriah. And so Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. So throughout generations and generations, Israelites, people that that see this mountain, see this place, they remember this place is called the Lord will provide. And so generations and generations pass. And the story keeps getting passed down from generation to generation. That mountain on Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. So people, when they see that mountain throughout generations, they know that place is where the Lord provided. And generations and generations go by until the time of Jesus. You know, we're going to celebrate it in a few weeks, but on the eve of Easter, Jesus, he's arrested. He's put on trial. He's beaten. He's sentenced to death by crucifixion. 
And there's this moment right before they crucify him where he's forced to carry that cross up a hill. That hill is called Golgotha. But many scholars are almost certain that Mount Moriah and Golgotha may actually be the same place. And so in other words, the place where God provided a sacrifice for Abraham and Isaac many generations ago becomes the very place where Jesus carries up his cross and is crucified as provision for our world. The place named the Lord will provide became the very place where God provided salvation and restoration and life for us all. Come on, God sees our needs, God provides for our needs, but how many of you know God goes above and beyond our needs? Abraham had no idea in that moment, in his faithfulness, in his trust as God, as Jehovah Jireh, that he would be actually rippling into the future a moment where the ultimate provision would be made for, made for mankind. Hear me, church, you have no idea what your faithfulness and what your trust in God right now does for the people around you and for the generations to come. Ephesians three twenty through 21. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more than you ask, think, or imagine. For a moment with me, imagine the best possible thing that God could do for you right now. Just, no, like, literally do it. This is activity. Think about, like, the best thing that you could think of that God could do for you right now. Some of y'all like, oh, I need a car. Or, like, it could be like, oh, I have a broken relationship in my family. Or, like, maybe you know someone that's like, what's the best thing that you can imagine God could do for you right now? What this passage is telling us is that as incredible as that thing is that you're thinking of or imagining— as, as powerful as that thing may be, God's got one better. He's always outdoing himself. In fact, there's nothing that we can imagine that's actually as good as the thing that God has for us. He provides, but he also goes above and beyond our needs. See, Abraham thought this was just about him and his son. He had no idea that this moment would ripple throughout time to pave the way for God's ultimate provision. Your blessings are not just for you. God's provisions for you aren't just for you. When Chris and I moved to the city, we did so very reluctantly. We're like, okay, we're pastoring here in the city. We should live in the city. But like, you know, pastor salary, I don't need to tell you. But we were, we're struggling with the idea. We're like, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. So we're living in Emeryville for a few months. And it was crazy because uh, we went on our honeymoon. And then the week that we got back from our honeymoon, we had just bought a couch. That was like the only piece of furniture we had in our house. And right when it got delivered to our house, we get a call from our landlord. He says, I need you out next week. Like, uh, obviously we didn't read the fine print. That was our bad. But he's like, he had the power to kick us out. So he, he said, we need you out next week. So we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And as we we're praying, we're like, okay, maybe God's opening us a door to go into San Francisco. So our dream at the time, we just want to live in San Francisco. We just want to, we just want to live in the city that we're pastoring in, be among the people that we're ministering to. And through miraculous means, we actually found a cozy little place 
in Potrero Hill called Bennett Lofts, and we moved there. God made a way for us to go. It was within our budget. It wasn't too expensive, and it became like a little meeting place where we had prayer meetings and worship nights. It was like a beautiful place. Um, that's where we lost and found our dog again a number of times. It was so many memories there, but we're like, thank you, God. You made a way. This is what we we're dreaming of, living in San Francisco. Well, two years later, one day we'll tell the story. It's kind of too long. But God opens a door for us to own a spot here in San Francisco. Now, tell me two years ago in 2016, if you told me you're gonna, God's going to make a way for you to own a place here in San Francisco, like, no way. Like, do you know how much houses cost out here? Do you know? It's not possible. We were just dreaming to rent here. Two years later, God gave us means to own here. God always goes above and beyond. And here's the thing. Your blessings are not just for you. In the same way that Abraham and Isaac sacrificed their trust in God for, provi- for provision, rippled throughout time to make way for Jesus. So our blessings and the way God comes through in our lives makes way for him to move throughout the generations. So I want us to remember three, three things today. The first, God sees our needs. He knows what you're going through. He's already seen beforehand what you will need. Number two, God sees to it that our needs are met. God provides for our needs. And number three, God goes above and beyond our needs. He always outdoes himself. And he uses the provision that he gives us to bless those around us. I want to close just by reading words from Jesus in Matthew 6. So will you close your eyes with me as we get ready to respond? Matthew 6, Jesus, uh, he shares these famous words. And I think this really paints the heart of Jehovah Jireh. And today, as I read these words that Jesus said, I want you to imagine that this is, this is the words, these are the words that God is speaking to you right now. Whether you feel like you're in lack, whether you're wrestling with that internal conflict that Abraham was wrestling with, God, how could you? Whether you're in the middle of your need, wherever you're at, I want you to receive these words from Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry? Sorry, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 